if we reached a point in our planet's social development in which we became a more responsible civilization, then I might feel a lot less guilty about us going out and inhabiting uninhabited spaces. I'm Savannah Mandel, and I research the anthropology of outer space. Welcome to Subject Matter Tabletop, the podcast about board games and the subject matter that animates them. I'm Steve Gotzler. And I am Jordan Tynes. We are coming to you with a full episode yes. for the first time in a long time. Long overdue. Long overdue, full episode. We sat down with an SME and played a board game and picked it apart and talked about it and got into it with them about all kinds of crazy, interesting stuff having to do with space, humans, and human life in outer space. That person is Savannah Mandel, who you'll meet in just a moment, and the game was Terraforming Mars, mm-hmm. a classic, classic that we, you'll hear, have not played until shortly before this episode. So yes. we are um, excited to bring a sort of popular title to the show for the first time. I mean, all the shows, all the games we played so far could be popular, but yeah. you know, they're just, they're, they don't have this sort of like public acclaim that, that yeah, Terraforming Mars been does. smaller smaller distribution games more indie games um terraforming mars is a a massive game massive game i wonder how many copies it sold we should have looked that up before we sat down to record i wonder what the stats are i mean it's like in target and stuff like that yeah the other thing that was a first for this show was that we both traveled to go have this interview this is this is a, a new thing for us we we usually one of us will come to the local area for the other and we'll interview somebody in one of our local areas but we both well, I flew, you drove, yeah. we both drove, and uh, then it was uh, kind of a fun adventure yeah, it was as well a little, that came along with it recording was a, this Yeah, episode. it was definitely an adventure. Maybe we should just kind of jump into it. We have a lot of material, uh, we're, you know, some, good, some good interviews and gameplay and everything else that goes into this. We mm-hmm. should let most of it speak for itself. Uh, so without further ado, I think we should kick it on over to our interview with Savannah Mendel. Let's do it. So we're here in yeah. Blacksburg, Virginia with Savannah Mandel, and we have on the table in front of us Terraforming Mars, a game that Steve and I had not played until yesterday afternoon. That's right. We had never played. It's a, cl- it's a classic game, though, which is why we're making a big point about it. It's sort of like an ever-present game in tabletop circles. You see it everywhere. People are big fans. We were talking about this yesterday. There's probably lots of people who have terraforming Mars tattoos, actually. Um, It's like a seriously committed fan base of this game, and we sort of, to our shame, had never played it before. But we played it yesterday when we were learning how to prep for this episode. We're very excited to play it today with our guest, Savannah Mandel. You want to say hello, uh, Savannah? Yes. Hello, everyone. I am Savannah Mandel, a space anthropologist and also new to this uh, gateway board game, Terraforming Mm -hmm. Mars. Not new to board games, but new to Terraforming Mars as well, um, I have to admit. Thank you for joining us. Many of you can probably guess that based on Savannah's self-described title, Mm -hmm. we could have played a lot of different games with you. And we've talked about that briefly in our introduction over Zoom and in our preparatory calls here. We're like, okay, so 
which space game do we play? Because there's quite a few of them. It's one of the <laughs> most often used themes. And in particular within space games, I feel like in modern tabletop board games, Mars is not um, also not very uh, uncommon. Uh, sure. Right? Uh, because the red it, planet. It has the, the project of colonizing a planet is, you know... Um, ready-made for all kinds of familiar board game mechanics like area control and resource management and et cetera, et cetera. Let's just hear a little bit about your research. Like what, what is it that you do? What is space anthropology? Is it just people in space? <laughs> is it people doing anthropology in space? Oh my gosh. Okay. So <laughs> all the above, it is a subfield of anthropology of, uh, and of many branches of anthropology because anthropology you have within anthropology you have archaeology you have biological anthropology right. you have environmental anthropology cultural anthropology um i am a cultural anthropologist but there are archaeologists who study space and there are biological anthropologists who study space and there are anthropologists who specialize in sex and reproduction who study outer space i got into this field uh, several years ago uh, while i was doing my master's degree um, while I was looking for a, f a field site to conduct my my own research in, and I happened to be at um, the University College London, and I knew I wanted to research space, and had run into a couple other anthropologists who were researching space already, which was a miracle in itself because there are not that many of us out there. Like maybe maybe thirty people in the world who are social scientists who are researching outer space, give or take the straight grad student, right? Sure. With the support of this, these faculty I ran into, um, I sent off about 400 emails to every single space organization, <laughs> research project, company I could think of, and eventually heard back from Spaceport America, um, which is a spaceport in New mm. Mexico, mm -hmm. conducted research with them for several months. After that, I mean, that was just like my jumping off point for me personally. But we've also had space anthropologists who have worked with NASA on the bottom of the ocean floor. Oh, for, wow, cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Valerie, that was Valerie Olson um, in the early 2000s. We had Jennifer Tishi, who, Ritesh, who um, worked in the Spirit and Opportunity rovers, also in the early 2000s, looking at how we anthropomorphize mm. um, automated, uh, like, rovers and... Like, like WALL-E. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But how, how this anthropomorphization actually impacts the development and engineering and use of these technologies on other planets. But I think it's anthropologists have commented on it because it is such a curious thing. Mm. Um, and because it is a thing that has been, I, I would say, kind of recent in human history because it happened once we started developing more and more inanimate objects, right? Technologies. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, one other space anthropologist looked at there was this astronaut-written diary of a space zucchini. Um, so on the ISS, they were growing zucchinis, and this was in, like, the, around 2012, I believe. And 
the astronauts were growing these zucchinis and every day they were logging from the zucchini's perspective like what it was doing and and how it was so excited today it sprouted a new leaf and it was growing like the future of veggies and space and like what it was doing for mankind and and these this zucchini's aspirations and goals and how excited it was and it was like a children's book um being blogged by an astronaut from the iss Hmm. and so an anthropologist hmm. talked about like what the role of that anthropomorphization was in communicating science and but also the emotional value of that anthropomorphization for the scientists um, and astronauts on the ISS. I mean, we also see this in relation to rovers take curiosity singing itself happy birthday on its birthday oh, or sad. opportunity <laughs> really sad message goodbye right, right. Mm-hmm. when it mm-hmm. when it turned off which i can't remember what it was but it made everyone cry yeah. <laughs> essentially mm. where do you fit into this small community of space anthropologists and what's your specialty good question as my body of research has grown it's become more and more focused on human beliefs and values mm. and how those shape the future of colonization. So specifically, I look at imperialism, capitalism, and the mission statements and behaviors of commercial space companies in the present Mm. to understand how those really reflect what's happening here on Earth now and also the economic and social impacts those might have if their goals are enacted. So for example, if colonies are established on Mars or the moon, or if asteroids are mined or, or an intensive amount of spaceships are developed, space stations are developed, or if um, space tourism really takes off, what impact will that have on the individuals who are left behind on the Mm. voices that are left out of the conversations who doesn't get a say in, in, hmm. in whether or not we go to space? How will this increase wealth disparities? What will be the political repercussions of this? And I have begun to ask whether or not it's worth it for humans to go to space and if we should not be focusing instead on unmanned space travel. Those questions are central to what's going on in this game. Um, and what the players are trying to do and the different sorts of beliefs yeah. and values that are baked in to the systems uh, which inform the colonization of Mars. In thinking about the sort of history of imperialism, capitalism, colonialization, mm-hmm. and all these things, immediately what comes to mind is the dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of representations of this in popular culture and science fiction. And what we have here in front of us on the table is just one example of that. But is that something that you incorporate into your research? Is that something that you're sort of like also thinking about when we look at this game today or professionally? I do. Yeah, I absolutely reflect on science fiction, speculative fiction. Um, Every time I I conduct research, I have it in the back of my mind. I think a lot about eco-science fiction, like Mm -hmm. by authors such as Kim Stanley Robinson. Mm -hmm that reflect a lot on 
um, on the repercussions of human space exploration. And so do other space anthropologists, actually. A lot of them have pulled from science fiction throughout their work, which I think is really beautiful. One reason why I think it's important to draw on science fiction, actually, there's a couple of reasons. But so one reason is that I think science fiction can work as analog. When we think about analog sites, um, so for example, I'm thinking both in terms of like analog sites, like the multi-billion dollar ones that are created here on Earth, but science fiction in a way acts as an analog for the future. One possibility out of many millions of, 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 of a reality that could happen. It could happen. And so how do we prevent a, a dystopia from happening or work to create a utopia to happen. But what happens if this utopia is only a utopia to some people and not to all? I also think about science fiction a lot as an act of prophecy Mm. and foretelling. And this is a huge part of my work, prophecy and foretelling. One, because I get asked a lot as a space anthropologist, you know, what does the next 50 years of space exploration look like? Like, where should I put my money? You know, <laughs> what companies are going to succeed? Um, what does it look like? What governments are we going to have in space? I get a lot of these clairvoyant questions. So I've started recently, and I do this a lot in my research, trying to think when I'm thinking about foretelling and the future, not just about science fiction, which gives us examples of the future, but also drawing more and more from history to build patterns and cycles just as an economist Hmm. would (laughs) you know so looking at apollo era examples of descent and comparing them to modern descent against the space industry Hmm. where did that descent come from fascinating yeah Stuff like that. Looking at the failure of the Concorde or the French train Aramis, comparing that to Virgin Galactic and mm-hmm. Virgin Hyperloop. Right. Oh, yeah. What's the What's the Gil Scott Heron song? Uh, Whitey on, on the Moon. moon. Whitey on yeah. the Moon. Yeah. Um, I would be curious to hear, like, what is the significance of Mars in particular within not just the popular imagination, but specifically within the like anthropological imaginary. Does Mars hold a sort of central place in that? Or is it a recurring sort of object of inquiry and um, speculation uh, within these academic or um, scientific circles? Historically, Mars became a focal point because we could see it with the naked eye, Mm. even Mm. back in ancient times, right? Yeah, we we have that name has been around for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a god. It Mm -hmm. was a Roman god. Mm As well, I think that was one reason why Mars and the moon stood out to us. I mean, and Venus to an extent before we really understood the planet's chemistry. Um, And I think that's one reason why it stood out. It was so close and it was Earth's size and we could see it if we wanted to just stand outside and look for it at a certain time of year. And I think it felt very attainable. What is the role of private entities in the work that you do, and how are you considering the the their impacts on the prospects of things like a successful colonization of of another planet? So after I finished my research at Spaceport America, I got a job at the Commercial Space Flight Federation, and they work with eighty plus commercial space companies, including the big rock star ones, Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, SpaceX. So I began to work heavily in space policy, business development, government relations, 
with these companies and got to know them really well. And at the time, I was only really working as an intern, but continued after that internship ended to do work as an anthropologist with several of them in a consultancy manner um, or in a research manner for years. Um, I would say that commercial space companies play a massive role these days since the passing of the commercial space launch competitiveness act um it things really have been in the hands of commercial space companies and public space companies government space companies have fallen out of favor so to speak Mm -hmm. um i'm really curious about the sustainability of this in the long run not because i see a lack of strength in the companies themselves or their partnerships because many of them have partnered with government space organizations but instead because I think about these things generationally and I think about them socially and culturally and when I speak to my students undergrads about their opinions on space and not all of them are social scientists right a lot of them are engineers um, or hard scientists and I asked them, like, should we be prioritizing space travel? Should we pri- be prioritizing human space travel? Their answers tend to be no. And mm. I think, like, these are this is the next generation of policymakers, of world leaders, of engineers, of scientists. And if their answers to me are are no, and they are the next generation, you know, is there going to be another downswing like there was after the Apollo era? During the Vietnam War and post-Vietnam War, when Apollo got defunded because the American people did not like the way the money was being prioritized, there was a backlash from the public, from scientists, that just wasn't publicized in media as intensely because it didn't look, it didn't, it didn't exhibit the nationalism that was so important at the time because of Soviet-era conflict. Mm. So what is the Commercial Space Launch Competitiveness Act? So it was passed during the early 2000s, and it was what basically gave the public the right to engage in space travel and to benefit from it like any other industry. Did, were we claiming to like regulate it before that? I mean, what What is the... Uh, uh, maybe, right? It's like the FAA controls aviation. Exactly, so yeah. this opened up space travel and space exploration to private interests rather than... Basically. Okay. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so this is why we have the Branson, the Bezos, the Musk mm-hmm. um, rocket wars. Yeah. And SpaceX played a huge role in the passing of the act, huh? if I remember correctly. So like, it's it's really focused on the act of launching, though. It, what's, I know it's a huge act. It's focused on a lot of different things because I I write this chapter in my forthcoming book about asteroid mining and the importance of the act, part of the act in the allowance of asteroid mining because the act basically allows for the first time for companies to to, to take resources from the moon and and sell them, bring them back to Earth, mine them, all that stuff. (laughs) That doesn't sound good. You, right? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like we should have like an an equilibrium of material on the planet of Earth and not bring more More stuff stuff from other places. The issue I bring up is like there's a problem in terms of equality versus equity because the space treaties essentially give everyone 
access to space. Like everyone has the option to to go to space, the right to mine these materials. But if you have to have billions of dollars to get to the space in the first place, mm-hmm. it makes it you know it, right. it's mm-hmm. it's not equitable. So we're not going to get like mine carts of people going to the moon <laughs> to like. Uh, yeah, and the, the original for space, tourism purposes. Yeah. The yeah, original like, space treaties yeah. as well. They had this rule that resources gained from space, to fair to paraphrase, had to be distributed amongst developing nations, um, mm. which was sort of this beautiful clause. Unfortunately, there is nothing to make sure that happens. There's no mm. enforcement. Mm. How do you enforce something like that? So the. You're you're you said you're cultural anthropologist, and we're talking a lot about like, yeah, sure, politics are a reflection of the culture in which they are you know, created and things like this. And but what is the culture of space? Yeah, I mean, is this it is, is it an international? I bring it up because like, is it like an international culture? Is it is there any sort of is there like a localized culture of space? You know, what is there? Do people practice religion in outer space? Yes. Mm, Um, I think, I I think this is a hard, I think it would be hard to identify a culture anywhere. So for example, you say, what is the culture of America? Like that's kind of a hard question to answer, but I think I do get asked this question a lot in variations. For example, people will say, well, what is the government on Mars going to look like? And I say, well, if Blue Origin or SpaceX are the one to create it, then it's probably going to look like a corporate structure mm. you know and I'm, I'm partly joking but also like there aren't going to be these like socialist communist egalitarian systems right off the back and in, in fact they're incredibly structured what astronauts can and cannot do what they can and cannot sure. display um so of course mm. you can practice religion on the iss absolutely yeah. it is a very international space but it's also very scripted you know mm. i i think about this in relation to the handshake in space when mm. the soviets docked with the americans for the first time and it was meant to be this display of peaceful camaraderie and yet it was so intensely scripted and the space anthropologist wrote about this actually and about how neither cosmonaut nor astronaut welcomed the other onto the space because that would have shown that one had ownership it's the pageantry of 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 outer space seems to be similar across both public and private entities oh yeah that is a similar oh yeah i mean because astronauts i become something far beyond a celebrity in the mind of most human beings Mm. i think you know they become idolized and i'm thinking about this in relation to my next research project which is on congressional hearings and expertise panels and who is chosen to be an expert by congress and i used to go to a lot of space hearings um for my work Mm. in dc and i think about you know how astronauts often end up on these expert witness panels but a lot of times I think to myself, is this person really an expert? Hmm. Like hmm. May, maybe they were the pilot. Like, right. what what did they know about the next 50 years of space? Because they've gone to space? In, and, in and, fact, they probably don't have a lot of space, no pun intended, to think about those things, right? Because they are so intensely involved in operating the mission. Following <laughs> that's, that's the script. Underway. They were following yeah. the script the whole time, um, right? Yeah. How, how much time are they like sitting up there and 
philosophical waxing, you know, about where yeah. what we should be doing with this well, perspective. Even in like a, in the computational sense. And the more astronauts you script, meet, right? the more the sort of mask is the rose-colored glasses mm. are shattered. The the facade is broken, mm. and you realize it is a very there is a lot of pageantry to it. There yeah. is a lot of hmm. um, interesting. You know, it is a very staged thing and stage process, and it makes you start to think: Why are we doing it? Like, why are we? What is the role of the human being mm. in space, other than to perform a spectacle yeah. back on Earth and to be a person who can be idolized? So we are sitting here in front of terraforming Mars. There's a big red planet in the middle of the board. You can definitely see that there's some like corporate iconography and other kinds of things that we're going to deal with here in a few minutes. What are your expectations of this game? I try not to go into games with too much expectation, but I am very curious because I haven't played a ton of games that are directly related to my area of expertise. And I got to say, when I was reading the rule book for this game, it is legitimately in line with my research area and what feels like is happening right now in the commercial space industry. I mean, the game is set up to have us as commercial space companies fight to colonize the red planet. And when I was reading that, I like chuckled to myself mm. and was like, <laughs> I'm going to win. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you will. Uh, in our experience, two for guess, two. Usually does, yes. yeah. um, uh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. I think that that's great. So we, go us. Then. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Um, I mean, we had, we had a long list to choose from, yeah. and who knows, maybe someday we'll return and play another yeah. space themed game uh, from a different perspective. But yes, um, as soon as you started getting excited about those elements, so Just feeling good about this choice. <laughs> we're actually so we are competing, but we're also sort of competing under the auspices of worldwide cooperation, right? So there's like a, a a world government, and what we're doing is we're competing for like world government funding dollars. That's the like modicum of competition. So we've all been given licenses to destroy the red planet, <laughs> uh, and we're competing for funding to do so. We're just uh, destroying. We're actually. We're remaking it. It's just. It's a. It's a creative we're destruction. It. Yeah, yeah, we're. We're ter yeah. tearing out the old and bringing in That's a right. new. Um, there is a United Nations Mars Initiative Corporation that you can play as. Oh, there if, you go. If you don't want to go co corporate, you can uh, maybe be a oversight. You, know, you can be government sure. oversight or something. Um, the other question we have for you is just, what are your hesitations about this? Yeah, do you have any? I I had questions mm. as I was reading the background um, of the game because I wanted to I wanted to know more about the backstory. It's not often that I'm like sitting there really thinking into the backstory of a game, mm. but with this one, I wanted to know like how bad of a state is Earth in. Like, how guilty do I need to feel about playing this game? You know, yeah. what sort of plan B is this? Because plan looking to other planets as plan B is something I hear a lot from commercial space companies as the one of the biggest motivations for why we should be colonizing them. And one of my biggest arguments back is that, hey, before we colonize other planets, we should be repairing systemic issues here on planet earth working towards a, a post-scarcity world universal basic income um mm. basic health care so when i thought about this i'm like okay did all of that fail 
do I not need to feel guilty? Is this well and truly our last resort? Are we already in space, you know, and and like did a comet hit Earth? Mm. Like I was just thinking to myself, really getting into the RP of the game, the role yeah. play of the game. Mm-hmm. And so those were some questions going through my head. And, you know, I, I'm 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 at a place where I think human space exploration and colonization of other planets should be something that we do in the future once we stabilize earth and get us to a point that we can look at most countries populations and not feel guilty and not say that is a developing nation and think that most countries on earth are developed you know Mm -hmm. the game before we move on the game does address this in the flavor text at the beginning not in ways that you would probably, given what you've just said, find satisfactory. If, if memory serves, we could actually pull it over and read it out loud if we wanted to. Um, be a little rustling noise. But it's like a kind of a standard uh, presumption of like a Malthusian crisis. So it's like, oh, there's not enough food and there's too many people, so we have to leave. Ah. And the, the sort of like premise, the premises that you alluded to for like maybe addressing those like scarcity issues uh, are not ever really, you know... Um, countenanced uh, by the game's world. It, it covers this issue it, with um, two sentences. Earth is overpopulated and resources are dwindling. We now face the choice either to recede or to expand into space to find new homes for humanity. Yes. So and to that I ask, what about the people left behind? Yeah. So we have the Malthusian logic mm-hmm. driving the crisis, but then we also have their... Well, what other choice do we have but to recede? We must accumulate. Mm-hmm. You got to grow. Uh, so yeah. degrowth also not considered. So uh, we, so the game also, you may be relieved or not um, to know that the game only ends when we have successfully terraformed Mars. Yes. You, you cannot fail. We cannot fail. We yeah. will the terraform this thing never and fails. it will become habit- habitable. Yeah, right. It'll be uncomfortable, I think is the word. It's funny. It's like we'll the, be cold. It'll be quite cold and we'll have some brutal. Difficulty breathing for like, a little while, but we will be able to live there. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the other the other question that we like to ask every one of our guests is just tell us a little bit about your board game biography. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, or or play in general. You know, you're yeah. sort of your autobiography of play. We know you're a gamer. We know you play. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I have a deep love of board games. Um, you know, it's kind of sappy, but I feel like board games really pulled me out of like a dark time in my life when I oh, was yeah? in London. Yeah. I was like in a really dark place and I met this board game group, Sci Fi Fantasy Society, um, in London. Amazing. And I started playing games with them and we hung out like three or four times a week oh wow playing games going to the pub playing dungeons and dragons and we became such intense friends and i really got to know a lot of board games that way it was a well outfitted club it had a really um good patronage and um like everyone came like 60 to 100 people um from there when i went to spaceport america i I did indeed join a board game group. There were six of us at the local comic shop, and we were also very loyal to each other, the six of us, ages ranging from like seven years old to 70. Oh, that's great. In our little six-person group. Perfect. We still played. We were all really good. Sometimes I forgot that the little girl was seven, and she would burst into tears when she lost, but we we worked it out. We worked it out. (laughs) Um, 
and then after that when i was um I lived next to a board game cafe and went to that constantly. Uh, wow. And it was That's just great. like my board game journey continued. I'm totally jealous of a board game group that gets together three times a week. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> and we really did hang out all the time. Yeah. That's awesome. You must have churned through lots of games. Oh, yeah. So let's get playing. Yeah, let's do it. Now it's time for the two-minute teach, where we explain the game briefly go over the rule set, and talk about a few key aspects of the game before we sit down to play it. In Terraforming Mars, players embark upon humanity's most ambitious project to date, taking control of corporations and working to transform the surface of the red planet. Together, they compete to oxygenate the planet's atmosphere, raise the temperature on its icy surface, and turn dusty depressions into lush oceans. Once Mars is capable of supporting human life, whichever corporation has achieved the highest Terraform rating from the world government is declared the winner. Each game of Terraforming Mars is a competition to capture government funding streams and turn them into points. Players score these points by increasing their Terraform rating, a metric which tracks their contributions to any of the three global parameters driving the terraforming process, oxygen level, temperature, and oceans. Each turn, players conduct research, develop projects, and produce resources in an effort to increase these parameters, thus bumping up their Terraform rating. As a corporation's Terraform rating increases, so does their income, enabling them to purchase and develop more powerful Terraforming projects in future generations, which in turn accelerates the Terraforming process towards completion. Gameplay is broken up into a series of rounds called Generations. During each generation, players use their income to manage a hand of cards by investing in new research projects or purchasing powerful events. These cards allow players to perform different actions throughout their turn, for example, developing new features on the planet's surface, disrupting their competitors' plans, or producing valuable new resources for their own operations. Players may also choose from a pool of shared standard projects that are available to everyone. Most of these standard projects improve the atmospheric conditions on Mars, driving the terraforming project forward and improving the player's standing. Resource production is calculated using a series of tracks denoting the amount of materials, like plants, steel, and titanium, the amount of energy, and the amount of heat that players produce each round. At the end of each generation, players take stock of these tracks and produce new resources to fuel the actions of future generations. Along the way, players also earn rewards by racing to claim specific terraforming milestones, jockeying to fund awards that deliver endgame bonuses, and vying to expand their holdings on the planet's surface by cultivating green spaces and constructing cities, each of which award victory points and often provide immediate placement bonuses. Throughout the game, money is tight and resources are very limited. As players race to claim the most lucrative spaces on Mars, they must manage their operations carefully by blending opportunistic tactics with a flexible long-term strategy. In the end, the player whose corporation builds the most efficient terraforming scheme will find themselves rewarded with the honor of being humanity's corporate savior. Each player begins the game with a corporation card that gives them unique starting resources and, most importantly, provides them with a special action or effect only available to them. One potential long-term strategy could be to thematically match this corporate identity, developing a synergetic engine of cards, actions, and resources that exponentially improves the effectiveness of the player's turn. In our play session with Savannah, we played as the Ecoline Corporation, a pioneering botanical research firm. The Mining Guild, an association of mine workers leveraging their expertise to enter the terraforming race, and the Tharsis Republic, 
a breakaway independent democracy formed by disaffected workers and corporate staff. In Terraforming Mars, there are two main sources of pressure that incentivize players' decisions. The most obvious of these is the three global parameters that indicate the planet's oxygen levels, global average temperature, and number of oceans. Once a track has reached its maximum level, representing the theoretical minimum level to support human life, players can no longer increase that parameter or receive the resulting rewards. This has the effect of players racing to take as many parameter-improving actions as possible on each of their turns. The second central focus for players' motivation is the map of Mars itself, which is divided by hexes featuring information about the particular area they occupy. Individual hexes can contain icons that indicate the rewards a player will receive for building a city, forest, ocean, or other unique buildings in that particular location. These icons, in combination with certain building restrictions in some hexes, provide thematic storytelling opportunities for players. For instance, they might build mining outposts by placing city hexes that receive big resource rewards in titanium or steel, or they could cultivate green belts, large swaths of trees created by placing multiple greenery tiles near each other. In our game, the player operating as the Tharsis Republic began the game with a city tile and earned bonuses on future city tile placement, creating an ongoing narrative about urban expansion on the surface of Mars. I'm feeling it with Ecoline over here. I don't know if I'm gonna win. I'm feeling less confident in my ability to like storm the planet, but I'm feeling pretty good about that deal I just got off the research deck. Yeah. Um, so Arctic algae is, has an, a persistent effect that when anyone places an ocean tile, I gain two plants. Wow. He really likes lichen. He's lichen-y boy. I'm the steel queen. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, move this up Industrial again. Industrial microbes. I'm causing so much heat with my mines. And you go up on the, the steel track too, right? Oh, yep. Wow, you are Well, you're producing three steel already? Yeah, wow. I think so we feel, have feel a builder on our hands. And four purple. You just bribe some world government official or something? What the hell is this? What's going on here? Oh, so you weren't freezing palms. You were just releasing inert gas. Tharsis is raking it in. Hey, we sure had socialism. <laughs> we just, we charge heavy fees for importing and exporting. And huh. It's a bad place to build a city. Shouldn't have done that. I'm going to do an asteroid at your plants. Wow. Oh no. Cool. And so I'm pushing, yeah. Tharsis rules. Tharsis keeps his plans. <laughs> I think so. Oh, uh, Ecoline. See, when Ecoline wins, we all win. <laughs> a greener Mars for a greener tomorrow. Aww. Wow. <laughs> there in, the crazy. in the distance, my mining outpost yeah. explodes. Yeah, I'm, we're, we're doing all right at the Tharsis. We just finished terraforming Mars. Literally, we terraformed Mars. Yeah. We just finished mm -hmm. doing it. It is breathable air, mm -hmm. slightly pleasant temperature. The glaciers have just melted. It's like the iciest cold. Mining oceans. outposts pleasantly warm the air with their pollution. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> we have we have a We have a capital? Robot. We have a capital city. Uh, it does not have a name. I should name it maybe. Towed some asteroids 
And That's right. We towed some asteroids. That we just we unearthed some lava flows. There was a lot of Arctic fungus. Uh, I, yeah, yeah there, I mean, there's some really great stuff in here. But it, it was very uh, there are a lot of lot of ups and downs for all of us. I think Steve was ultimately victorious with his corporation. Yeah, even uh, though we set all of his plants Ecoline. on fire. Everyone wins when Ecoline wins. Yeah, yeah. the Saurus Republic is a little salty about it because. Uh, Tharsis Republic was one point behind. It was close. It was close. Um, um, yeah, the mining guild is is not too far behind as well. So it's it's. It I was, was pretty far behind, though strong in might. I was a uh, weak in everything else. <laughs> you were producing ten energy a turn at one point. You just had uh, like power plants all over the place. Well, that's that's uh, appropriate for the mining yeah. guild. Yeah, it's pretty massive. And we, I think, had fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it was great. It was engrossing, I think was the word that I was, I was like, I found myself often feeling like, oh, I'm not being present enough for the recording because I'm just playing this game. <laughs> uh, like I was pretty, you know, it definitely glues you to the board, as you, as you said, Jordan. Like I was like looking at the map and thinking about stuff. Yeah, I kept wanting to like, interject some plots this is with like role role playing yeah. our, our yeah our characters a little bit but it, it was a little too crunchy to to kind of get to be distracted by such frivolities <laughs> <laughs> um we were very competitive that is something that happens in this game yeah there's a lot of direct conflict yeah we fought each other i felt a little bit about bad about that to be honest yeah um i i pinned the two of you against each other i never well, I, maybe I got I got beat up once, but well, um, yeah. I never I never attacked either of you. Yeah. We were uh, you, Tharsis, attacked, you definitely Tharsis. attacked me. You definitely attacked. Oh, me. I did. Yeah, yeah. You you burned his plans. You definitely yeah, did. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the weird things about this game. I in the direct player conflict, which surfaces most frequently, is destroying other players' plants. <laughs> which is like if I was actually terraforming Mars, even as a you know soulless corporate giant, like. <sighs> The plants, like, maybe, like that if, removes. The what if it was purpose. like you know diminish your player's like energy or like it was just always targeting the, the green non-human life or form. just destroy you, their base? Like because go it, hard and there are life destroy forms. Their base. They are life forms. Take their money. Yeah. Take yeah, their money or that. We're, yeah. We are soulless corporations. Yeah. You're not take gonna their money. attack their bank account. Like psyop their like vegetable garden. Yeah. Right. You know? <laughs> we need that for the. <laughs> For the purpose of the... My veggie, veggie garden is all about psyops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, did have, you did have some, some uh, sketchy vegetables. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think in general, um, I felt a little guilty about having a guest on the show <laughs> undergo such a competitive atmosphere. Yeah. No, it's... no. I, I'm very a very competitive player, and I thought this was really fun. You know, I was... The mining guild, which was there, was a huge irony too. As someone who does critique mining, um, space mining, um, and its implications on Earth, um, and I, I love the kind of comic bent to it. Mm -hmm. um, no, but it was fine. I love good healthy competition. <laughs> I, I, I tried to take you guys down the entire time. I have a, I have a kind of an answer to this question that I think, but I'd be really curious to hear what you think is missing from this game. Like from Wait, your perspective, in that story, right? What would yeah. be what would make that story more complete or more accurate representation of, especially from your question. perspective as a, you know a space anthropologist? Like, what's what's a big miss here? Yeah, actually, I mean, it is a pretty 
pretty just straightforward cutthroat like heartless game and I feel like when you have a lot of these like in-depth building strategy games you do they do have some cards in there that are a bit more like the people the people revolt or you know you have these moments of rebellion or Mm. um other things pop up and I would have liked to see I think maybe some cards that when that exhibit other cultural moments like that that would have Mm -hmm. disrupted the terraforming process yeah um or perhaps just shown a different moral side to things and they didn't have to be like negative cards they could have been cards that worked in your favor um like different sort of diplomacies in the game yeah Mm -hmm. politics is like largely mm-hmm. missing. Yeah. Like there's largely very little politics to this. A lot this of business m- strategy in this game. Massive undertaking on a planetary scale. And also like just the human in a weird way. It's is like a, it's all about like the human species colonizing another planet to save its existence. And it's obviously like these abstracted entities like a capital city or a corporation. But people aren't really present in yeah. the gameplay in a real way the human gets kind of effaced and i think that also uh, co- one consequence of that is this like missing piece of like politics it's or very industrial you know, and very yeah. productive um which is an it is an interesting way to think about terraforming because they've taken a lot of the emotion out of the process mm. which is a huge part of it i think mm. so is that does that maybe skirt around some of the issues of colonialism here does that kind of make mm. it easier to stomach the activity of colonizing a space to, to take that emotional human aspect out of it. Probably. I mean, I'd be so curious to speak to the game makers about this and see if this was something that had t- they had taken into conversation or thought about. Um, I mean, they have a quote I'm noticing on the box of oh, from yeah. Dr. Zubrin, who is the president of the Mars society. And some people call him like Zubrin, the zealot. And okay. <laughs> he is this, um, you know, huge advocate for Martian colonization on that end of the spectrum, who is like, we are going to Mars no matter the consequences. Wow. So I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I just happened to look up and notice that. Okay, should I read this out loud? Yeah, I didn't notice it. Terraforming Mars is a terrific game that gives players a chance to explore the way to the grandest work humans have ever attempted, the creation of a new living world. Dr. Rupert Zubrin, President of Mars Society. So have you, I don't know if you even noticed this on some of the cards that we're looking at, right? They have um, little italicized text on the bottom where they do give a little bit of information about, so like I'm looking at import of advanced GHG, which I'm not Mm -hmm. sure what that is, but greenhouse gas, right, is explained down here. Greenhouse gas with improved effect, right? And that it, it is pretty like bland but it is true that there's almost i feel anyways this is my impression i'm not i shouldn't speak for everybody i felt almost a presence of microbes fungus lichen plants way more than i felt the presence of people Mm -hmm. uh like in the course of the game as i was playing it so like non-human life wasn't necessarily absent but it certainly wasn't represented in a way that helped think through the sticky business of like ecological relations yeah. between human and non-human forms of life. I think maybe because I was planning, planning against the mining guild, the game felt so pro space capitalism yeah. and, and like none of these cards deal with social issues at all or not even, not even having them as the disasters. Like when you have a convoy from Europa, but it's bringing <laughs> ice and other supplies, you know, 
And I would have just liked to see the social cultural elements yeah. thrown in here a little bit more. I noticed yesterday when we were prepping, there are some cards about immigration, but I don't remember what they do. But the, one of the cards was mm-hmm. like immigrants arrive from something. And so that had some effect. Um, so that's like at least sort of aiming towards that. But I it has I it has know. a little to do with just what you get. And I, and I think it also might have to do with your strategy. I felt like this time around, because I was focused on building cities throughout the whole game, yeah. I did feel you the felt, human presence ah, a little bit more. You see, that's right? interesting. My and you know maybe it helped you know that my corporation is like focused on city building. It's also kind of describes us. Um, I'll just read this again. With the first big city came a social community that could be not could not be controlled by the corporations, right? So oh, well, there's yeah, there's so, a little bit of society. Well, that's going right, yeah. on. I mean, just that, a touch. Just, to the, well, to the game's credit, though, touch. I think that's really fascinating, right? Because the last time I played, I was like a faceless um, media, like entertainment corporation, and I basically could invest in whatever I wanted. I chose to invest in heavy mineral mining and space disasters. So heavy mineral, mineral mining subsidized my infrastructural projects that scored me points, and the space disasters uh, were great TV. So like, they also <laughs> made me money. Um, whereas this this time, so like neither of those gave me a strong human presence, and this time I was just like doing nothing but placing greenery tiles and like harvesting plant resources. So I'm over here sitting like, oh, there's plants everywhere. Uh, but you were like thinking about people the whole mm-hmm. time. You, so, you know. yeah, and I guess my question for you, Savannah, would be, with these things in mind, right? This, this, what we do know about the society. Yeah. What kind of society exists on our, our terraformed Mars, sitting in front of the table? Wow. Well, we really love plants. <laughs> um, <laughs> we successfully Ecoline successfully distributed mm. plant life. This is the green belt. Yeah, we yeah, really pointing do. to the board. There's a uh, row of green tiles that yeah. runs across. There the, we have the a equator. we have a, a Nile River of jungle mm-hmm. running through the mid- river, center of Mars. Two mining outposts, just as I intended. Yeah, far away from <laughs> that. Right. Far away <laughs> yeah. from that green zone. Yeah. My oh. mining po- outpost did go at, rather as intended. I mean, it, it's interesting. Um, I would say you know, Tharsis did spread out in their um i what what did we say socialist way egalitarian um way and so perhaps there is a happy future in line for our colonized mars as we rebel against the corporations but Hmm. um so you don't think we'd be grateful to the corporations for setting up a a livable atmosphere well, okay, that's another huge question because we have to think generationally. Mm-hmm. Yes, so right? it took us nine generations. So in like space, an- space anthropological terms, what's a generation? 20 years, 15 years? What What would you say? Mm, good question. I don't know if I can be, the, I'm not a demographer, mm. but I will say that I think t- the tone and mood is going to shift with each generation mm-hmm. on how individuals feel about being on mars on this terraformed planet because after a while they're not not only have they not chosen to grow up there and and they did not come here of their own voluntary intention but they also are not even like attached to parents or grandparents who did voluntarily Mm. choose to travel there they at this point are several generations down the road where you know the familiar familial relation to the people who did choose to come to the this Mars, you know, is so distant 
that I think he would build up some resentment. Also, though, I think my <laughs> mining yeah, outpost would probably keep polluting the planet since we very quickly heated things up mm-hmm. and it would just keep getting yeah. hotter and hotter and hotter. <laughs> Who's going to tell that corporation to stop? Yeah. I worry We've a lot about that, uh, right? Peak yeah. yeah, climate. So yeah. stop yeah. producing those emissions. They yeah. were great before, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the funding from world, gov- world government would dry up, presumably. That's a really interesting way of thinking about it, though. I didn't. Maybe that's the real purpose of the generation marker, which otherwise doesn't have much of a game effect. Is thematic. I didn't find myself thinking about that, but nine generations, that's like at least a hundred years, right? That have gone more. By. Yeah, way more. more than that, right? We so made oceans that time. The, yeah. per, the person who was this went to Mars because there was no other choice for humanity's survival and spent the decades of their lifespan living out in a, an atmosphere with no breathable air at 30 below so, zero Celsius cultivating Arctic algae is very different from the person who was born into this jungle belt of uh, greenery and breathable air and oceanside property. So like that's, yeah, I don't know, I haven't thought about that, but that's, yeah. it throws up some, a lot more interesting sort of like story and narrative hooks for players to think through. That's than, why when you think about yeah. current commercial space ventures, you have to think about not just current cultural beliefs and values about space but the next two three four generations about space Mm -hmm. so we did have some concern about the diversity representation of diversity and inclusion in this game the game is a little dated um, and does does perhaps not do enough um, to create a fantasy experience science fantasy experience that imagines a more diverse scientific community um but does that track? I mean, would this would this project be uh, devoid of of well diversity? I don't think I've ever ever sat in a meeting where one there were more women than men, or that there were more minorities than white people. It's almost always just like you know, say I'm in a room full of it's probably like ten percent, you know, women and even less. Mm-hmm minorities Mm -hmm. um and it is the reality of the situation right now and it should change and it needs to change and i mean there is an awareness of it but i mean i mean it's a slow process you know i think one thing that stands in the way is the intense militarization of space as well so there's some military stuff in this game too, of course, right? There's some some vibes. We, there's no direct military conflict. No, in fact, you'd think there would be more. On, yeah. on, honestly, on some level, hmm. um, like that there would be some sort of Mars police force to it's stop the corporations from starting a war with each other. Definitely been <laughs> demilitarized. There's yeah. no. Yeah, no I'm surprised there's not conflict. more. So, so in that sense, right? Does this game visually and in terms of the and mechanically i suppose meet our expectations for our pre-existing expectations for what this kind of activity feels like to us in our imaginations yeah i mean now that you mentioned it, i think it will be a far more militaristic uh venture colonizing i mean this is framed in a very scientific light um it is an example of scientific colonialism um, which is still colonialism. I think in terms of the tokens and the pieces, besides energy and heat production, there's actually as well a little bit of an absence of technology. Like we see it in the mm. cards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, I mean, there's plenty of references in the cards. But but in terms of what you place on the board, 
I would maybe expect a little bit more technology or something on right. your... Like developing a refinery tile or yeah, something. Or, yeah, or have maybe a science mechanism as um, one of your main... Main actions. Main yeah. actions. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That surprises me a little bit. Yeah. Um, there are... people. Ha- some people have these custom versions of this game where they develop oh, these, these really elaborate 3D tiles yeah. that... You know, instead of just a generic forest tile, there'll be like a forest tile with like a logging operation on it or something. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. You know, th- there's just different different things that represent some of those technological activities that you might associate with this kind of thing. But uh, sure, as the as the baseboard game, that is a funny little observation. Yeah, it flattens that stuff quite a bit. Did playing this game make you think about your subject matter differently at all? Um, no. I mean, <laughs> it it was... Shocking. <laughs> I mean, it was strikingly on on brand. I, I feel like front of the book where it's yeah. reading to you the, the, about the game and, and the message of these people wanting to colonize Mars literally could have been a speech given by Elon Musk and it would be hard to tell the difference, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, 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 I mean, it, it's exactly what I, I kind of work with on a daily basis and have to think about from a anthropological perspective in relation to, to history and, mm. and culture and society. If you were, if we were to, to give you the task of make a game about terraforming Mars, what would be some of the big divergent changes that you might start from? Great question. You know what I would do? I'd probably keep it the same, but give everyone, um, like somehow make it so everyone's ability, like your your position maybe was a secret. And so that way one person was like the person trying to screw you over who had snuck to Mars mm. to disrupt the... Mm. the Add a little bit of or Earth. information. Make someone play as Earth trying to mm-hmm. bring the morals in. I think it'd be fun that the political... Mm-hmm. Add those political elements via someone trying to disrupt. So from the game design perspective, what I see there is you're really desperate for bringing in the sort of social aspect of this activity. I am. Of, I also just love... like yeah. uh, I don't... I'm not a huge fan of social deception games, but I like strategy games with a social deception element. And like the Battlestar Galactica game has Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if we threw in a little bit of a social deception, it would, a little hidden trigger to disrupt the colonial processes here, that would just, it would really balance the game, I think, as well. And do you think that would be more reflective of what you'd imagine that this process? to be like yeah because i don't think i think it's a, it's a very slim chance that colonizing an, another planet is going to go smoothly mm. over a mm. 500 mm-hmm. year like time span mm-hmm. like wrenches are going to get thrown into yeah some point earlier in the podcast we mentioned you're you're gonna succeed right the terraforming so would yeah. you have the possibility of failure I think there should be. I think I seeing it maybe play out in the same way pandemic plays out mm. where you have the option of maybe if enough, if you have someone who can play a partial enemy, 
um to disrupt the colonizing process that would be that would make the generations more uh, mechanically significant if you had rather than just these um individual awards that happen as you track through that you had milestones on the parameters that you needed to hit within a certain number of generations then the players would be forced to cooperate semi right and still be competing but it would be a semi cooperative thing which would actually be maybe a bit more fitting to the, pr- the premise of the game, which is like one world government isn't undertaking a unified effort to terraform a planet, but there's a semi-competitive process yeah. where corporations are competing for funding contracts to I mean, do think it. Think about like, what if, what if it's like every 50 years is, is a generation or something. And yeah. so like the first 50 years or, or like the first on the hundred year mark, Oh, the people of earth have decided they want to focus on solar power and don't want to fund this project <laughs> anymore. <over> yeah. <laughs> they're over it. They're no yeah. longer sending supplies to Mars. It gets to, you now have to pay extra anytime you want to increase the oxygen yeah. or something like, oh, wow, like these uh, sort of mechanisms. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's no supply line. Yeah. Um, it's just endless. The yeah. money just keeps coming and coming, coming. It'd be yeah. awesome to play like a prequel or a prequel game or just a, maybe a different game where you are just playing on earth, like desperately trying to drum up the resources yeah. to make this happen. Right? Where is the money coming <laughs> yeah. from? I have questions. Yeah. Not to, to play devil's advocate too hard, but I mean, I mean it is not, it's not called colonizing Mars. It's called terraforming Mars. Yeah. So I think that perspective that it takes from the beginning and the way it frames the topic does lead to necessarily some of these omissions. True, yeah, that's very fair. And yeah. it becomes just like about the scientific process. Yeah, of, and, and I think it's fine that it left yeah. it out. I don't think it needed to in, needed to include it. I think it's a very like tightly designed game. Yeah. It feels like terraforming an entire planet, at least in my imagination, would be a tremendously cooperative endeavor. And so how do you feel about this idea of making this, this choice to make this game entirely competitive very competitive and also to represent it as this like free market endeavor right Mm -hmm. there's just this like pile of money incentivizing corporations to just do anything in their power to Mm -hmm. make this project happen versus like representing some sort of like political governing body to to bureaucratically fix this issue i do enjoy um the blend of cooperative versus um competitive what i almost wished towards the end of the game was that there was a way to lower the meters i mean i oh, kind of wish for such meters to buy us more time to, re- to, to, to remove progress. oxygen from mm. the environment to to kill the oceans to slow you down mm. because De- detonate a nuke and then that'll set the temperatures back. Yeah, yeah even though yeah. even though it's mm. cooperative that i found myself wishing more often than not that i wanted to take away your ability to raise those meters because mm-hmm. it was hindering me. And so the human element could be a way to do that, right? Because these big, huge undertakings would have setbacks because they can only ever be undertaken at the ground level through humans operating as workers and technicians and scientists and colonists, right? So that whole element being missing would be an opportunity to work in like backwards progress, setbacks, the sabotage, element. sabotage. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Essentially, what this game is representing is like government incentive programs. Yeah. And, and you have, we played maybe what, like approximately 200, 250 years of unchanging <laughs> government incentive programs, yeah. right? Like, here's and this project, <laughs> go on out there, and you, the, the, we're going to, in, 
initiate the same incentive program the entire time until the problem problem is fixed, which I have a hard time believing would be yeah, the case. I just don't think it's probable. At the beginning of the game, Mars is untouched, pristine, quote, natural beauty, right? How does this read for you, this project of like it being free for the taking? The game represents this sort of land grab, this manifest destiny, like this is the solution and there's no consequences. And so from an anthropological perspective, because a planet is empty, does that give the human race like the permission to just go anywhere and take any natural resource we can get our hands on? I mean, I think right now, um, and this is my personal belief system, I just don't think we like are worthy of it um because i don't trust us with using the land in a responsible way but if we reached a point in our planet's social development in which we became a more responsible civilization then i might feel a lot less guilty about us going out and inhabiting uninhabited spaces i think what's what playing this game with you has made me think about a lot is time scale like almost not quite on a deep time level but you know if we're talking about a terraforming project or space colonization of even a nearby planet like mars we're looking at like hundreds of years generations far removed from each other and even if we did feel worthy of the blank slate the blank slate disappears immediately as soon as we get there we bring everything with us and then it's not a blank slate anymore. It's mm-hmm. people living on Mars who are going to develop into populations and communities that experience the same social and political upheavals and problems that they bring with them. So we might say, like, oh, yeah, colonization, but nobody lives there. Well, they do as soon as you start colonizing it. And then 250 years later, what does that look like? There's probably some groups that have been there since the beginning who are now, you know, right? So, like, you would have these histor- history. What happened? But maybe human beings right now are kind of not worthy of developing and expanding on another planet that doesn't mean that one day we might be and might as well have developed in a way not only that we are like morally worthy in that moment but sustainably worthy over generations and this is all how do we decide this how do we decide what is morally how do we say when we get to that point like this is all very like a hard thing to define i'm defining it from my perspective Mm. which is western and from my point of view but that's why i think about it i'm just like yeah. mm. thank you so much uh for playing terraforming mars with us and for talking about your research and helping us think a little more deeply about space colonization and space research and space legislation uh which yes. i had not really thought about in the past people so, in space is it, a much deeper topic in my mind yeah. than i mean it used to be basically just like star wars Uh, so thanks so much again for joining us this was a blast and hopefully uh, we'll have I'm sure that the games are there so hopefully we'll have an opportunity to play another space game at some point down the road yeah thank you so much for inviting me guys this was a lot of fun so we're here the day after playing Terraforming Mars with Savannah Mandel. Savannah Mandel, a space anthropologist yeah. at Virginia Tech. I think we all had fun. It was very competitive. Yeah, it was a good time. It was a very competitive game. Yeah. It is a competitive game. Yeah, and it, it really kind of does force us into some kind of intense competition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. direct conflict. Many games are competitive, but yeah. I felt 
competitive. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is crunchy too, right? In sort of a classical way. So you yeah. are really engrossed and invested in your decision making, but then the game also builds in lots of opportunities for people to screw with your decision making. Mm-hmm. So it becomes quite yeah. tense. And it, and you can only target one person at a time. Mm-hmm. It's not like yeah, you're, you can't split it even. Yeah, so it's kind of mean. Yeah, you got to pick somebody to suffer. Yeah, there's a kind of there's a moments yeah. of gotcha, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like like I'm I'm feeling the pain like this person, but we were friendly and cordial and sure, absolutely displayed logic when we were making our decisions. <laughs> yeah, we made learned arguments right. about whose plants we were going to torch. Right, it wasn't like them. because I feel badly about you, I am going to torch your plants. It was more like, you know thematically or logically I need to torch well, your plants. I guess that, that was, was kind of true at the start. Though when I torched plants I was like, well, you torched me first, so Yeah, there was some revenge. So yeah. that was my my reasoning was not very sound. It was just retribution. No, uh, yeah. Well, it, it 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 was it was a competitive experience. We got we got through it. Um yeah. and uh we had some meaningful moments. We had some unexpected expertise. Yeah, we learned some unexpected And things. we are going to provide a subject matter score. That's right. So uh, let's get into it. Why don't you start us off by sure. sharing your meaningful moment, Jordan? So my meaningful moment, what happened in the last turn of the game. I was the person who ended the game. Yes. By... I had a card that allowed me to use a little bit of energy that I had stored that I was not using for anything else at that point in time. Mm-hmm. It was kind of late game. Not really a whole lot of use for energy except for these like special actions that I could, had developed on my cards. Yeah, you had some cards that you could spend the yeah. action to use. So I could do that. I, I, I put my energy on it and it increases the oxygen level on the planet. So one of the tracks that we must sort of maximize yeah, one of the three global parameters. Yes, global the, parameters. For the terraforming right? There's project. three tracks. There's oxygen. There's temperature, and there's oceans. All three of those, once they're maxed out, mm-hmm. we the game ends. Game ends. We have terraformed Mars. We have terraformed Mars. It is yeah. it is habitable. Mm-hmm. We can we can live on it and breathe yeah. the air and not freeze to death. Right. So, um, I had the decision in that moment. The that oxygen track was the last one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was our last one. We had already maxed oceans, and temperature was the first one to go. Yeah, and I was sitting there thinking, "Do I do this?" Mm-hmm. I had this crunchy decision yeah. of, "Do I?" Because I have the power right now to terraform Mars, to make it habitable, to do all those things I just described, and it, presumably make it a better place for everybody. Well, to save residing. humanity. Yeah, to I save mean, humanity. The flavor text that. for the game is like the human species is doomed if we don't yeah. go colonize on a, on a meta level. Yeah. That decision was in my hand right, right. then. Yeah, you know, right. and I and I had this moment where I like deciding between: Do I do that, mm-hmm. save humanity right. and terraform Mars and mission complete and all this stuff, or do I wait? One more turn. Mm-hmm. Let everybody suffer one more generation of uh, you know <laughs> of like, hard scrabble living on right, Mars. Yeah. Right. While I attempt to score more points as a corporation. Right. right. While you attempt to win the game of my corporation is right. the best corporation. Thank you very much, world government, for all of the money. So this decision happens yeah. in a lot of games, right? Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, like where like do I end it or do I like mm-hmm. gamble on like one more turn and maybe I can catch up and you know win the game or something. And it like that. was a very close score spread at the end. I believe it was a one point yeah. difference yeah. between first and second place. Totally. We were so very, very extremely uh, meaningful, not just in this sense that you're using it now, but it was a, a consequential, I guess would be the better word. Yeah. It was also an extremely consequential decision uh, moment to think, can I 
at that point, you maybe hadn't done the math entirely, but to know exactly, but can I get two more points mm-hmm. if I wait around? Mm-hmm. Or is it just like a lost cause? Yeah, and start? so, it, yeah. you know, in, in terms of the role-playing aspect, right, if I had um, decided not to end the game, I ended up ending the game. I ended up, you know, doing that action and and, uh, and making the oxygen level go up and boom, yeah. terraformed. And, and humanity thanks you for your sacrifice. Yeah, everybody yeah. was great. Yeah. But I had this, like, you know, thought, like, do I just like pursue this corporate agenda, right? right you know, and right, right. you know, do I just keep going as this sort of private entity, mm-hmm. it, which contradicts like a decision that would benefit sort of public welfare, right? You know, and mm-hmm. that I thought was kind of like a cool, meaningful moment, right? for sure. Yeah, it it felt like that was what the game was trying to get me to do. Yeah, right to sort of balance public welfare with my own personal agenda as a corporation and feel that tension. Yeah, and in that moment, I certainly did, right? And, yeah. and and like I said, it it happens a lot in a lot of games. But at that moment, I was like, oh, kind of cool. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm, I'm yeah. caught between this like, yeah. Do I make more money and like be the best corporation, or do I just like help? Yeah, the you know humanity survive. Do I achieve this aim, this species wide aim of right. terraforming a right. foreign planet? Um, so that was fun. Or an alien planet, I guess. Would be the way that was to my meaningful it. moment. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think what's interesting about that too is. The game itself, and we talk about this a little bit with Savannah when we after we played it, but the game itself doesn't present actually a whole lot of rich opportunities for storytelling. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, um, it's pretty uh, flat in that way. Like the things that are happening in the game involve uh, like these macro level parameters, like the global temperature, the mm-hmm. oxygen percentage in the entire planet's atmosphere, the number of oceans present on the yeah. surface of the planet. Totally. Um, so it's all very big and highly abstracted. So I think it's really interesting that like at the very end of the process, at the moment of decision, you found yourself thrust into actually inhabiting the role of your presumed character, quote unquote, mm-hmm. as the corporation which you were playing. Yeah, and I, 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 to be fair to myself and to, you know, maybe I'm reading into it a little bit too much. Mm. At that moment, I was thinking more about points. Okay, sure. You know, but that was the corporate thing to do. It was. Because that's the premise of the it game, was. right? So I was feeling very. We're not really trying was, to tear, as you pointed out as well, also in previous conversations in this episode. We're not actually trying to terraform Mars, like in that sense. Mars will be terraformed. Mm-hmm. Like that will happen. Mm-hmm. At the end of the game, the planet will be terraformed. That's not the game. The game is to be the best one at doing it. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so that's, yeah, that's interesting. What was your meaningful moment? My meaningful moment is a little bit different, um, uh, different from that one anyways. It was not really storytelling based. Though. It was th- thematic based. And it had to do with the global parameters themselves. So while playing it with Savannah... Uh, there was this moment around mid-game uh, because I was pursuing a slightly different strategy than I had played the first time we played when we sort of learned the game. When we learned the game, I played a strategy that was premised more upon like uh, wanton destruction and extractive resources to like subsidize construction projects of cities and industry and also get a bunch of money from like ratings for TV mm-hmm. entertainment by like, <laughs> manufacturing yeah. asteroid disasters. Yeah. Um, the second time, I was this corporation equally that was really invested in greening the planet, basically. Mm-hmm. Like everything I was doing was based in greening the planet. 
planet. You, you had a long little line of trees yeah. going across the middle of the planet. And as we got farther through the research deck, or whatever the proper term for that deck is, but it happens during the research phase, as we got farther into that deck, I started to see more cards that had stricter requirements. Like, oh, this would fit really well into my greening engine, but I can't play it until oxygen reaches like 8%. Mm-hmm. Or I can't play this card until temperature is at least... Uh, four degrees above Celsius or something, uh, or zero Celsius, right? Four Celsius. Uh, and so I started to do something that I hadn't really done at all in the first play, which was I started to like sort of plan, okay, I'm going to keep this card. I'm going to purchase this card and I'm going to work over the next two or three mm-hmm. turns Investing. to manufacture global parameters that will allow me to play this card. Mm. And that worked a couple of times. But the meaningful moment was not necessarily like leveraging the interlocking parameters in order to um, realize that kind of growth, which is what the game wants you to do. The meaningful moment came when actually that then got out of control very quickly. <laughs> and I had to start ditching cards yeah, that I, I had, that. That I I had invested that. because the parameters had been accelerated far beyond the horizon of my planning yeah. because of the other actors on the planet. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and so cool. it was like, oh, this. it was like a two-step. It was like, oh, this is cool. I can see how global temperature, global oxygen, and, and oceanification work together to like create this interlocking cascade of environmental and ecological effects, and that's fun to do with these cards. Mm-hmm. But then it was like meaningful when it became clear that, like, oh, these processes can, especially when you start to actively intervene in them and accelerate them willfully, get out of your control pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the planet is warming really fast. It's a lot faster than I was planning, and the oxygen has just skyrocketed, so now I can't play this card at all. Um, hmm. So that was interesting to me, because it wasn't necessarily appropriate to Mars, per se, but just thinking about like climate, like climate and ecology um, and the way in which those systems can accelerate and then get out of control yeah. very quickly. I thought that was an interesting uh, aspect of the game that was, it was meaningful. It was funny too because it was on, a, on another level, I noticed it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I noticed you s- selling cards, which is really an, an inefficient action. You know, it's something yeah. that we commented on when we were learning the game. We're like, yeah. don't want to do that because that means you played the game poorly. Yeah, they cost you three. If you right. have to sell it for one, that's no good. Yeah. And, and I kind of laughed. I was like, was that because I accelerated it was that growth, it was both you know, it was like, you for sure but i think savannah did it a couple sure. times as yeah. well it I mean, was, I was just, just from that in that moment yeah. i was asking because i had just done that action and i knew like there was like, one turn where i had two cards it. that i could play only if no one bo- boosted a parameter before my turn mm. and they were pegged differently one was to temperature we were on already on the max temperature for that card mm-hmm. and i had been sitting on it for like two turns <laughs> and we were already on the max oxygen for that other card and we had been sitting on it for a couple of turns and I was like okay as long as it gets to me before anyone bumps the parameter I'm going to play both of these right mm-hmm. at the last moment it's going to be amazing and I'm pretty sure she raised the temperature and, <laughs> and then I you created uh, <laughs> created a greenery tile and both of them were shot yeah. and it was like yeah. oh yeah. wow okay well so there's that there's that I don't know it sort of reflects too also on uh, I don't know the argument for free market capitalism which is basically right. what is happening in this game yeah, right, right. That, that it will sort of self-regulate and that there will be a balance in like mm-hmm. who can score points. Sure. You know, yeah. and, and I sort of, it, it, that engine works yeah. semi-successfully yeah. in, in yeah, this yeah, game. Yeah. That's cool. So um, how about your unexpected expertise? Unexpected expertise. This one, um, you know, was, I wouldn't say easy to think about. It wasn't, but it was just, when it happened, when we were speaking with Savannah and having our conversation, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so interesting. I didn't know that. And it has to do with a piece of legislation, congressional legislation called the Commercial Space Launch Competitiveness Act. 
from 2015. Mm -hmm. So this was a piece of legislation that I didn't know about that Savannah explained to us that was passed in 2015 and that it's really the reason that we have the privatized commercial space landscape that we have right now with Blue Origin. Is that what it's called? Blue Origin? Blue Origin and And SpaceX SpaceX. and the Virgin Galactic stuff. Half a dozen Um, other ones we've never heard of. Yeah, that we've never heard of. Those are the big three of the like eccentric billionaires that we see on TV all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I just sort of assumed in my uh, sort of own historical ignorance, I thought, oh, well, I know that funding for state and military-backed space programs has dwindled over the last decades of the 20th century. These folks have just decided to step in and like seize these enterprises because there is a gap. I didn't realize that like their ability to do so had been legislated into mm-hmm. existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was my unexpected expertise. And it certainly casts a different light on what the game is is doing in terms of the overarching like free market com- competition that you were just alluding to is really premised in <laughs> the idea is all of our income is coming from government funding from the world, the unified world government. Mm-hmm. So we're really just competing for like NSF grants. Right. <laughs> like that's, that's what everybody's doing. You're just sure. sort of like me- reaching your target goals giving with the world government deliverables on Mars and they're going to give you a big check for more money to take that project to phase two. Right. Um, so that was illuminating to, to realize that that kind of situation had actually been legislated yeah. uh, in the past. Yeah. We, I think we even talked about that in our post play, this idea of um, somebody had decided a, a government entity had decided how that com- competition would play out, how, how that competition would be evaluated and assessed. Right. Right. And that's funny. I, I, I would actually be curious to know a little bit more about that legislation and know if that totally if that legislation has that some of that criteria in it. Right. Mm. You know, some some conversation about like how public dollars can like can be involved in these pursuits yeah. for yeah. competitiveness and these yeah. activities of launching stuff in outer space. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What was your unexpected expertise? <clears throat> um it was sort of it's it takes me a little a little more um it's not like one thing it's sure. sort of like an idea that came out mm-hmm. and it come it starts with this idea that we were talking about the idolization of people who the, of who, who have been to outer space mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. how that functions for me i've always thought of it just like sort of on a pop cultural level sure definitely like neil armstrong you know, Buzz Aldrin, all right. these people, right, from the right yeah. stuff era right, of, right, 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 yeah. of space tra- exploration have been idolized, certainly in my childhood. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, know, you know, my imagination of what it's like to be a, an astronaut, yeah. right? We all saw Apollo 13 in the 90s as kids, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And, and, yeah. and the, uh, there's another function that they have to society mm. um, on a political level, mm-hmm. on a, sort of a, the level of governance that they get you know, apparently, as Savannah was mentioning, they get sort of invited to participate in these discussions about mm-hmm. how we imagine the future of space travel. Right. Right. Yeah. They think they they in, engage in conversations that uh, and probably, you know, political um, processes. Right. You know, where yeah. you're sitting in a room of people who are like chair people yeah. who are thinking about these kinds of deci- yeah. funding decisions that, yeah. you know, they're making arguments for projects and stuff budget like that. hearings and stuff right. like that yeah i came to this realization through this conversation with savannah that they may not be the best yeah. source of information when it comes yeah. to that type of decision making and conversation yeah right that sort of speculative um uh, imagining of what we could do mm-hmm. next mm-hmm. i 
I had never thought of that because, you know, the, the reason why she said that is that, that when they're in outer space and mm-hmm. thinking sort of deeply or, or given that opportunity to think deeply, that they don't actually have that opportunity. Right. They, right? Are, they are consumed busy in outer with space. the business of surviving in space. Right. Yeah. They are so right. scripted. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. they have something to do at, you know, every minute mm-hmm. of every single mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we talked a little bit about sort of what, there may be exceptions, right? Sure. There may, you yeah, know, if yeah, you're yeah. if you're chilling up there for a while, they're, they're going to give you some yeah. downtime. Yeah, you toy. film some funny videos that right. go viral, and yeah, right, right. And so, I just thought about that in terms of like what is because they are so involved in those conversations because they had this sort of very strict, regimented perspective while they were in outer space. Yeah, um, what is their impact? You know, what is that little. I don't know, problem, dilemma, or whatever mm-hmm. situations mm-hmm. impact on our own collective imagining of what is possible for outer space. Yeah. And does that impact things like how this game represents a very dehumanized, yeah. you know, sort of uh, bureaucratic? It's not even bureaucratic, not really. right? It's just, it's very. Um, it's very abstracted. I mean, you are yeah. just, you have these corporate cards in front of you that identify who your corporation is and it gives you like a, a feeling for the brand. Right. But like, the way the game operates, you're really just like these abstracted gods that are just influencing things at a planetary mm-hmm. scale mm-hmm. over the course of 10 generations, right? So like the idea of historical continuity in a, even a corporation, right? Like that any corporate actor could maintain a coherent like vision and execution and leadership over 10 generations, right? right? Those are there are obviously some examples, I'm sure, but they're exceptions probably yeah. to the norm of like changeover, disintegration, takeovers, mergers, like failures, right? Yeah. So it does presume a kind of abstracted continuity that doesn't quite square with political realities. Yeah. Or we're, just, we're just yeah. basically occupying in this game a, like a, a system, right? Yeah. And it's totally dehumanized. I just thought that that was connected in some, potentially connected in some interesting way yeah. to this idea that, you know, we we turn to these people who had very little time to actually think very philosophically about right. their position in space while they were in space. I'm sure there's like a lot they go through when sure. they come back, right? Yeah, and they, they, right. they process and think very mm-hmm. deeply about that experience, but... I don't know. I've never sp- spoken with an astronaut. Yeah, so I, that's I true. Know. So maybe we'll have to do that next. We'll yeah. have to play some sort of space game with an actual uh, spacefarer. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. That's a good one. That's a good one. So now we should go to our subject matter score. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. All right we're going to do as is now the custom. We're going to do a, a simultaneous reveal. Three, two, one, three. 4.5. Mm. Oh. <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> so you, you give it a generous... 4. You think 5. so? You think four point five is generous? <laughs> <laughs> I give it a three, which I also think is fairly generous. Yeah, you think? Okay, well, yeah. tell me about it. Tell me about it. Well, I so I, I the way I did it this time is that there's some pros and cons. I, I yeah. mean, I, like this is not a review. This yes. game, you know, love this game, right? You, you, you can see why it's such a popular game. Yeah, yeah, play it. absolutely. You know, like go out there, yeah. love it, have it be your thing. Yeah. Um, you know, that's um, we're not we're not in the business of reviewing games Correct. in that way, right? right. Yeah. Um, we're here to talk about like how do they embrace, incorporate, and represent a subject matter. Yeah. Right. right. And in that case, I I wrote I had to write a list of pros and cons just to kind of wrap <laughs> my mind around it. Sure. Uh, Light on I me. I think that the the you know this ultimately is a game about privatized space exploration. Yeah, privatized space. Yeah, I guess that's yes, that's the simplest way of putting it. Yeah. And and I think 
that it does an okay job at that mm-hmm. sometimes, mm-hmm. right? It it shows us that you know there's this corporate exploration and extraction of resources and management of people and all this kind of stuff. Um, I was struck by Savannah's comment about just having a lack of surprise. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, because it is so predictably representative of what that would look like. And, you know, in, in some, some cases I think that, um, that really plays out, right. We just described a few where I felt like I was actually a corporation making these decisions between profit and public welfare and all this kind of stuff. And there were times where I felt like the subject matter was Mm -hmm. connecting with the actions that I was taking, but other times, you know, building tiles and infrastructure. I mean, that could have been anywhere. Yeah. One of the funny things that she said she was not specifically su- was surprised about, she was surprised how little technology right. there was in the in a particular sense of that right. word. That like, yes, obviously technology kind of is pervasive in the game as like an assumption, as like an assumed background mm-hmm. of activity, but it doesn't figure so much. There's a big, big lack actual, of humans and tech. Yeah, humans and tech. And of course, you know, those two things are like deeply related and interrelated. I mean, I think, like I said, that idea of building these these tiles, these, these ocean tiles, mm-hmm. these forest tiles, city tiles. I mean, it could have been medieval city building, right? right. It could have been sure. anything. Um, and it did not feel like I was doing that on Mars mm. at any point in time. Interesting. Okay, I would disagree maybe just ever so slightly with that last statement, though your overall assessment I can't really argue with. <laughs> okay. um, uh, so do you want to go through any more of the pros and cons, or should I no, I mean, explain we can myself? Talk about later. Yeah, should I justify my, four, yeah. my massive 4.5? <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually had a really hard time with this uh, on some level. I thought about going quite low, and I thought about then when the next one, I'm like, well, actually, well, maybe is there something about this game that's actually quite, like quite a good crystallization of the state of like commercial competitive space uh, endeavors. I settled on 4.5, which was like a hedge towards like a nothing answer, which is like the halfway point uh, for a couple of reasons. And the first one has to do with, um, or they're sort of interrelated. They sort of, sort of one follows from the nether, from the next, right? So the title, and we talked about this with Savannah as well. It's like, it is called terraforming Mars, not, colonizing mm-hmm. Mars, not exploring Mars, terraforming Mars. And so actually one of the things that bumped it up in my estimation was reflecting on, and for instance, like the meaningful play moments I was just talking about, the way in which even though it is quite heavily abstracted to a, to a, to a state where it could be applied to medieval Europe, et cetera, or whatever, in terms of the actual actions you're doing, the way that those actions you do all contribute to the interlocking advancement and acceleration of these global parameters of oceanification, temperature raising, and oxygenation. That did feel to, for for me, felt like it captured something at like the level of like conceptual science thinking about how a planet could be terraformed that I thought was kind of compelling, right? Now, you keep thinking about that any longer, you start to sort of want, the other things that all exist mm-hmm. in reality mm-hmm. underneath 
the conceptual science, like how science and tech actually gets built. Who runs the tech? How does the tech get there? How does it those ma- people be, parts. Yeah, how do those people maintain that tech? What kinds of organizations are they living in while they're doing that over the course of 10 generations? You know, what are the politics on Mars like by the time we've had six generations of colonists? You know, all of those questions then seep in immediately, which is what drives it down for me mm-hmm. in terms of like being really pretty gun shy when it comes to confronting the complexity of a project like terraforming a planet, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so maybe 4.5 is a little generous, maybe not, but those are the, that's where I settled, you know, and it, for me, because it's like, you know, and the, the design choice that takes it away from that complexity, which ultimately I think might be how, what makes it a good game. So I don't think this is like a knock, yeah. but what makes it a good game is they veer away from those complex questions about dealing with like the human complexity right. and they veer towards like a tried and true sort of like Euro style point salad thing mm-hmm. where actually instead of confronting the complexity of how terraforming operates within the three, the system of three parameters, we'll engineer a bunch of different systems of scoring points yeah. that will help players like pursue different strategies that allow them to that's, score points. That's right? sort of the last point I was going to make, right? Is that that it's it's a very influential game. Mm-hmm. It's got timeless mechanisms yeah. that are done pretty flawlessly. Yeah. I, I don't have yeah. I don't have much in the complaint. There's one tiny little design decision that I have a complaint about, but that's sort of like me for like not my preference. Yeah, right? it's a, it's a, yeah. And and uh, but I think generally speaking, it is done very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, I think games that that I can. I started to think about other games that I could describe that same way, yeah. right? That are very influential, that have these timeless mechanics. They oftentimes, I think, fall a little more flat in terms of their representation of yes. theme. Yes, right, because yeah. they're you know they're very focused on that. And there are games though that do do that, mm-hmm. and I think they compensate by infusing a lot of story and flavor mm-hmm. flavor right. text and things right. like that. Yeah, and that that sort of brings that thematic level up yeah and this game does not struggle too hard mm-hmm. to do that yeah right? it doesn't it put light as context. much effort into that as one maybe could but again our standards are perhaps skewed it is an older game and at the time i do think that maybe terraforming mars would have been a revelation compared to games that made no effort whatsoever mm-hmm. really to thematize those core mechanics and yeah. how they often resurface in board games so in that sense maybe it was like you know a lightning bolt of like oh this is like a classic board game with these things interlocking we're mm-hmm. doing this stuff but look it's all about like mars and we're changing the oxygen and we're putting out oceans and like isn't this cool you know yeah. so Just a little dabbling of yeah of, of theme on <laughs> yeah. there, right and the um, cards you know have that little italicized text on the bottom yeah. that gives mm-hmm. you a little bit of a little just, scientific background yeah often, i mean you know. it's and it's Again, very light. It's nothing compared to the italicized text on something like Wingspan, right? right which yeah. talks about those birds. And again, that's a game that I would describe as one that has like timeless mechanics For sure. in place, yeah. right? It's actually an engine builder, just like this one, yes, exactly, right? And yeah. I would say that the theme is much more appreciated in that. It's because it, it, it has that story that like yeah. just drips. It all relishes over it, right? in its theme. Right? It's a love letter to birds right. and bird watching. Right? right? It's like. Yeah, it lavishes the yeah. cards and the components and the the experience of like playing it too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had like a highly competitive and intense and engrossing experience, but as you were saying, never did that experience evoke for me like being on Mars. No. You know, whereas when you're playing Wingspan, it definitely evokes like, like spending hours birds. outside like <laughs> looking at birds. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> you know totally. what I mean? So, uh, yeah, that's a good comp for yeah. sure. And that's a much more recent game and it is much more sort of like contemporary in its approach to those sorts of questions. Yeah. You know? Cool. Well, 
that was fun. It was, I, it was I, great enjoyed, I enjoyed talking with Savannah. <clears throat> I enjoyed talking about Terraforming Mars with you. Absolutely. Ditto. It's, it's, a, it's a Stone Cold classic. I'm glad we could play it on the show. Um, it's nice that we uh, were able to bring in one of these like you know all timers uh, yeah because we've played fairly small independent yeah. titles now we can this. go comfortably hiding back into our obscurity <laughs> yeah right that's right until we reemerge for something like root yeah i would love to play root yeah we gotta find cool. find a good way to do that well thank you all for listening yes please follow us on social media on instagram or twitter and please rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts this has been subject matter tabletop with jordan and steve We'll see you around the table.